Now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out. I'm Ali Shilton. And I'm Steffi Barnett. Today on the show, we catch up with Brixdale. Uh, plus, we head up north as Steph's been talking to Robert Kyle about life in Leeds. And the final part of the history of Anne Lister. Uh, all coming today, right here on Shout Out. Dum, 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 I was a bit late, never mind. <laughs> Hello, how are we all? Hello, Matthew. Hello. Um, Andy, Steph, Rose. Hello. Hello. Evening all. So, isn't it nice? It's like getting light later. Yes. Oh, lovely. Uh, now, all I need to do is be unlocked and I'll be very happy. I was just oh, I see, yes. Yeah. And, and, and release from, as well. And release from COVID too, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I was going to say, we can now all go for exercise in the, in the early evenings after we finish work. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Andy, I thought you liked being locked up. Which Andy are you talking to? Just asking, that's all. Quite an innocent question. I thought you both like being locked up, that's all. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. no, not really. I'm not enjoying lock up, if I'm honest. I'll be very glad when it's over. Roll on the uh, summer parties. Yeah. Did anyone, catch the, um, did anyone catch the Golden Globes and uh, see Jodie Foster kissing her girlfriend as she accepted? Yeah. No, got no. not her girlfriend, excuse me, her wife, yeah. uh, oh, whilst and accepting her uh, Golden Globe for Best Supporting oh. Actress in the uh, in, Mauritanian. In indeed. PJs. Oh. In PJs, in silk pyjamas, with a snowy white dog in the middle called Ziggy, sort of got yeah. squashed in the embrace, you know. It was really <laughs> interesting. It sort of stole the show, really, because there's been so many photos of it. Um, yeah, because she was sort of in the closet as it were for such a long time or certainly not very open about being um, a lesbian and um, and there we are so Aww. happy happy news happy it's news. really good that's really nice it, does it feel like we're slowly turning a corner where like celebrities feel that's okay now I mean football's still got quite a way to go and certainly sports I think in general but you know there was a time when that would have happened and it would have just ruined their career it's so nice that it's now actually even becoming normal in Hollywood yeah, that's right. And I think I think uh, Jodie Foster in particular um, sort of held back because of all of the sort of terrible stuff that went on with Ronald Reagan and that attempted, you know, sort of a shooting of him and that was connected to her because it was someone who was obsessed with her. And, and I think she sort of just kind of held back a bit and, and now, yes, and now free as a bird, as it were. Oh. So there we are. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, talking of uh, free as a bird, our lovely Alid is back this week. Um, oh, and I know he's free as a bird because I bumped into him in the supermarket the other night and uh, he was already talking to six other gay people. He's like, oh my God, Tangsa is turning into Gay Central. <laughs> like, like you do. <laughs> so, uh, but I suppose that's the only place you really do accidentally meet these days is if it's in a supermarket. Oh, Sainsbury's. Yeah, yeah, well, I bumped into Andy in Sainsbury's. <laughs> we, we did, we did bump into each other in Sainsbury's, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, the bumping of shopping trolleys. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, other supermarkets are available. I just don't know which ones everyone else shops at. <laughs> All of them. No, well, you know, Waitrose, darling, Waitrose. You know, oh, oh. Sally, that's what Jane used to say in the 
day, wasn't it? So yeah. anyway, um, no. Speaking of valid, um, we're going to head over. Let's catch up with Brigstow. My five on shout out. Hi and welcome to March's edition of the Brigstow My Five. Uh, you're joined by me, Alid. Hi everyone. Um, hope you're all doing really well and you're still all safe and uh, enjoying the spouts and the little bursts of spring sunshine that we seem to be getting at the moment. Um, so February was quite a busy month for Brigstow. We had National HIV Testing Week and It's a Sin um, was uh, aired on Channel 4. Now, if you haven't watched It's a Sin yet, I would strongly recommend that you do so. Hopefully everybody has watched it now, um, but it is on all four on um their demand service so you can watch all five episodes there um, and it follows a group of five youngsters in their 20s um, managing life um, through the AIDS pandemic during the late 80s and the 90s um, and it is a phenomenal phenomenal series written by Russell T Davis um, what we need to ensure right now though is the conversation surrounding HIV doesn't end on episode 5 and that we continue that conversation going remember that this is one story of HIV but it's not the story of HIV and there are many other stories that were happening around that time um, especially when we look at women and women living with HIV currently you know women make up a third of people living with HIV and we can't forget them and we still need to include them in the conversation and still ensure that they have a space at the tables and that we have any research and data includes women so funding can still be used for those people because unless we have equality across the board when it comes to HIV, then we still have lots of work to do. But it is incredible. Um, and just remember that people living with HIV in 2021 who are on treatment cannot pass the virus on to their sexual partners. U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable. And it, the medication that people living with HIV HIV take um, will fully suppress the virus to an undetectable level, um, which is incredible. It means that people can have meaningful and long and intimate relationships with their partners without any fear of transmission. But it also means that, you know, women who want to start a family who are living with HIV can do so now, safe in the knowledge that their child will be born negative, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And because of it's a sin, we've seen record numbers of people ordering at-home HIV tests, which is just a phenomenal bit of good news. It is, you know, um, 
HIV Prevention England, they smashed their daily target of how many tests were ordered in a day, which previously stood at like 2,000. And during that week, it's, uh, it peaked at 8,000 orders in a day. So it is phenomenal. Uh, but we do still have a lot to do in the HIV response globally and locally. You know, we are signed up as a fast track city, which does mean that we have to, we are committed to ending all new HIV diagnoses by 2030, ending HIV-related stigma and getting to zero HIV-related deaths. There are still around 7% of people living in Bristol um, who are HIV positive but do not know their status. And that is because of access to testing. And when we look at the numbers of people being tested, nearly 46% of them are being diagnosed late, which means that they are that's the length of time they've been living with the condition before diagnosis. And the later that you leave that, um, further health implications will increase. So get tested and know your status. Pop onto the Unity Sexual Health website um, and you can find out how to get your test sent to you. Um, so that is all for me. Remember, if you have watched it and you feel like you want to support your local HIV organisation, we are all struggling at this time and all of us wherever you are could really do with your support but Brigstow pop onto our website at brigstow.org where you can either register or send us an email if you want to volunteer or if you want to do any form of fundraising activity we are more than welcome um, and we will op- uh, we are very open to all of your suggestions so um, please do get in touch but in the meantime follow us on social media at at Brigstow Info on Twitter and on Facebook and at Brigstow on Instagram. And that way you can keep up to date with all of the going-ons at Brigstow. But until next time, thank you very much and have a lovely, lovely March. Take care. Bye. If you have a story you could tell in five minutes, get in contact. Visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Uh, that is uh, Prayer in Sea. Uh, which by Robin Schultz and uh, Lily Wood. And uh, I swear they kept saying la throughout that, which just reminds me of it's a sin. La. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you know you can get um, official t shirts with just la written on it? Yes, I see a few people that have got them. Yeah, Hazel Hazel Dean was um, was showing one off, wasn't she, to support one of the prides? Yeah. Oh, she had the Teletubbies ahead of you there. Didn't they have a la la? Was it Teletubbies <laughs> that was or la, Tweets? La, la, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Teletubbies, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah, that's not quite the same as it's a sin. Not quite the same. Are they colourful? <laughs> they are. They are. And, and they had that wonderful green and blue thing, that, uh, background that looks a bit like the Windows XP. Um, 
Jerry, there you go, you see. Except yeah. didn't it have a baby's face in the sun or something? I don't remember it that did, in Windows yeah. XP. So. Slightly frightening. No. <laughs> anyway, um, speaking of colourful, um, it's Matthew and Rose with the news. <laughs> Shout out news headlines on Thursday the 4th of March. A former family court magistrate from Kent who claimed that children were better off with straight parents has been told by the Court of Appeal that his firing was lawful and inevitable. Richard Page was suspended in 2015 after rejecting an adoption application by same-sex parents. At the time, he said that he believed the child would be better off with straight parents. A year later, he was struck off by the Judicial Conduct Investigations Office after repeating his views on live television. Since then, Mr Page has been fighting a legal battle, insisting that he was discriminated against for his Christian views. The Court of Appeal has ruled against Mr Page, although it's understood that he now intends to take his case to the Supreme Court. Gay Times reports that manufacturers of Oreo cookies have once again shown their solidarity for our community, with a tweet saying, trans people exist, which quickly garnered 500,000 likes. Since last autumn, Oreos have been working in partnership with the group PFLAG to showcase how loving and accepting families to LGBTQ youth can make a great difference to their activities. Uh, sorry, their achievements and success. For National Coming Out last October, the, the brand produced packs of limited edition rainbow filling cookies. Gilbert and George met with the Guardian's Arts pages on Monday. The couple, who have previously been championed by the gay press over many years, have lived together since 1967 and have enshrined their love in provocative art, which has given them the title of the pioneers of performative art in the UK. They've launched a series of photographs depicting London in the sad time of COVID-19, and they discuss issues such as illegal rave parties, which they find exhilarating, to the horrors of the health crisis, echoing their feelings of the AIDS pandemic of the 1980s. A museum to house their expansive work is currently under development in the East End of London. Channel 4 News reports that Pontins Holiday Resort has been using a list of names deemed to be too Irish to screen out potential bookers. The holiday camp chain has been trying to avoid letting chalets to Irish traveller people. An investigation has been initiated by the Equality and Human Rights Commission after a whistleblower contacted them. Sarah Mann, representing the lobby group Families and Friends of Travellers, said, It is shameful that Pontins have acted in this way, and for so long before they were stopped. We know from our helpline that they are not the only holiday camp who have had these practices. Staunch feminist and LGBTQ ally Dolly Parton, who is known for a string of pop and country hits, has urged the American public to take the coronavirus vaccine. She appeared on camera this week receiving her jab, upon which she sang a version of her 1973 hit Jolene, but substituting the name with the word vaccine. Bristol Women's Voice have been in touch today to say that they are marking next week's International Women's Day, which is on Monday the 8th of March. They have organised a programme of online seminars, celebration and workshops running throughout the week. 
Women's Voice provides a forum for all women of the city, including LBT women, women of colour and those across the globe. Their online programme includes a panel discussion on women's identity in India, poetry with Subitha and an interactive murder mystery event. You can check out the full listings on the link via our website. And indeed, for these news stories in further detail and much more, do check out our website. The address is shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shout Out News, this has been Rose France and Matthew Tosh. Shout Out News, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout Out, LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out podcast. Uh, the girl is mine. That's a 99 souls. 98 more than the rest of us. <laughs> A bit different to the um, song by Brandy, uh, the boy, the boy is mine. Mm. I guess it's the same, same title but a remix of thereof. So, well, I did try finding vaccine, vaccine, but um, hello. Ah. <laughs> so, a difficult one to find. Yeah. Excuse me, can I please talk to you for a minute? So, uh, anyway, um, Steph, um, you're going up north next. Uh, we are, yes. Um, I had a chat with um, author um, and artist Robert Kyle, who uh, grew up in Leeds and gives us an insight of what life was like up there in the 70s and 80s. The, the history that we're looking at usually um, it becomes London-centric, but the Midlands and the North has got its own gay history. And um, I'm talking to Robert. Uh, and back in the 60s and 70s, uh, you were up in um, you were up in Leeds, Robert. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up in I grew up as a kid in the 70s in 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 Leeds. But it wasn't until the 80s that I would have emerged into um, Leeds, into the city of Leeds. Yeah. And, um, there was quite a strong music vibe going on in Leeds, wasn't there, back in the, the 70s and 80s? There was, yeah. It kind of really kicked off in the late 70s, probably about 77, 78, um, and, and, then, and then became very um, strong throughout the 80s. And it initially kind of was called the alternative scene, but we now um, kind of put it under the label of goth because you know, it became pretty much kind of the goth movement grew out of out of the Leeds kind of music. Scene. Ah, okay. So the goths came about in Leeds. They did. Okay. And they gravitated towards a club which was called the Phono, which was in the Merrion Centre in in the Leeds in the Leeds shop is shopping centre in the centre of Leeds. Right. And uh, it's actually said that the Phono is the first goth club in the world. Ah, wow. And goths, of course, are very very LGBTQ friendly. Very much very much and that's really interesting because I've just been doing some research um, I'm working on a bit of a documentary about goths at the moment and, and certainly kind of focused on Leeds and just what's really interesting is just how diverse that um, scene was in terms of uh, allowing everyone into it it was very very inclusive and um, it's really fascinating to, 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 to see that because I was there at the time I mean I was studying art and fashion in 1985 in Leeds 
Um, so that would have been, you know, when all of those things were happening. Yeah. Um, so what was the gay scene like then away from obviously, I, I would imagine that everyone felt quite comfortable from the LGBTQ community going to um, goth venues. Um, but what about uh, gay venues? What was that like? Yeah, the gay scene in Leeds in the early 80s to mid 80s. I mean, it was down. Uh, it was it was down the um, other side of Leeds and it was quite a derelict side of Leeds and I, I used to go on the gay scene at that time okay and and I used to find it quite scary really it, it, yeah 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 it wasn't the um, gentrified gay scene you see today in Leeds you know with all the kind of nice bars and stuff I mean it was pretty um, you know it, it felt it felt a little bit edgy and a little bit dark it was great fun and it was very diverse and, and, and there was a lot going on there, but still it had a bit of an edge to it. Um, you said you were uh, studying fashion and that. What was uh, what was fashion like in, in those days? <laughs> well, it's interesting um, you say that because fashion back in the 80s um, hadn't really taken off in the same way um, we know it now. I mean, by, you know, back then there wasn't these big brands. So fashion, you know, was much more the DIY spirit you know you kind of made your own clothes and you customized second-hand clothes I mean what's really uh, interesting about fashion I think back in the 70s and 80s is it has a real sustainable feel about it um, it wasn't just about kind of going and buying fast fashion you know where basically you buy something and then you chuck it away and you buy something else you you made your own style and I think that was really interesting about that time. And I think that that's what we need to find a little bit more of now. Mm. Well, I remember personally keeping pairs of Levi's going because um, obviously you you take out the sides to make them huge bell bottoms. And I think the more the, the bigger the bell, the more kudos you had <laughs> and any holes in that, you just put patches on them. Yeah, when it kind of got to the 80s and kind of my generation, because I, I don't remember so much the kind of 70s. I'm more kind of the eight, an 80s kid. You know, by that time, we were actually dyeing them all black. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> okay. The goth, I, was, I was into the whole goth scene, so okay. you know, kind of it was all about the black look and everything. Although there was that new romantic kind of scene which was happening, you know, down in London. But I suppose all these different fashion trends were cross-pollinating each other, weren't they? Yes, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Now, going back to the um, the, the goth scene and, and the gay scene in in Leeds, was there any sort of jealousy about what was happening in London because they were starting to get some quite swish nightclubs in, in London by then? And you said Leeds was still a bit edgy. Yeah, no, I think Leeds had its own... I think Leeds had its own um, culture. I, I think, yeah, of course, I think, you know, there was... I mean, everything was happening in London. You had all the big clubs in London. But I think Leeds had its own microclimate, and I think people were very happy with that in a way. I think um, it because it was it was flourishing, and it felt very um, much like a community. I always felt very much part of a community, you know, in, in that in that in those times. Mm. Um, of course, there was uh, Section Twenty Eight and the AIDS pandemic that was uh, starting to surge. Um, how did that affect you, Robert? It's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine um, who uh, we were both on the lead scene together thirty years ago, and I was only just talking to him the other evening, and, and about the fact that we just 
both watched It's a Sin. And we were reminiscing about when kind of AIDS and, you know, kind of the, um, that was, all, you know, kind of all happening. And just how much kind of he was saying, you know, it always felt back in the um, 80s, certainly kind of where we were in Leeds, it always felt that it was somewhere else. And he was saying, uh, and he was saying, do you remember, you know, we used to kind of go out on the gay scene and it always felt like it was something which was happening in London. It never felt as if it was actually happening, you know, kind of in Leeds. B but obviously it was. And, you know, because when I was growing up, there, there were those very early um, kind of quite uh, shocking headlines in newspapers. And I remember kind of reading those and I was a, a bit younger. Um, and that must have been the early 80s when that was kind of coming out. Um, and I remember um, being very aware of it when I was actually going out onto the kind of lead scene. Mm. Did and it scare you? Yeah, it did. It, it terrified me. And, it ter and, and um, you know, there's this whole idea that, you know, you go on the gay scene, you, you know, you can be quite hedonistic. I remember not at all being like that. I remember being very cautious um, and you know, being very um, anxious about what was kind of happening. But then there was a lot of other things happening in Leeds, you know, which also kind of added to that anxiety. You know, we'd only just kind of come out of the Yorkshire Ripper. Mm. Um, you know, he was, uh, what, 1975 right through to 1981. So the kind of, you know, the, 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 the nightlife in Leeds didn't really, really start to kind of kick off or flourish, and, you know, until I think after he was arrested. Mm. And then also... Um, was that quite, was that quite a, a dark moment for that area? Very. As in that that like the, the clubs were almost empty. Did it have a huge impact? It had a huge impact on women. It had you know kind of there was um, you know women were not uh, wanting to walk alone anywhere at night. You know they were certainly very much supporting each other in terms of community and and, and just, you know walking together and stuff I, I mean I remember um, it, it, there was a, a sense of uh, terror you know in the atmosphere and then on top of that you've got the um, terror of the Cold War which was kind of you know of, kind of course up, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Nuclear war. I remember yeah. as a kid you know we used to kind of get uh, leaflets put through the door and this was from Leeds City Council called Leeds and the bomb and what was actually going to happen to you when you know a bomb a nuclear bomb was dropped on Leeds yeah but I think um, I think the government assured us all that if you climbed under a table or, or a desk you'd be absolutely fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really fascinating kind of just the other day I watched again there was there was a, a film which was made at the time called Threads it kind of was launched on BBC two I think at nine o'clock in 1984 and it's one of the most terrifying um, films I think I've I've ever seen. It terrified me then when I watched it, but I actually watched it again last week, and it has the same terror attached to it. And it's basically kind of a, a film about uh, when they drop um, a nuclear bomb on Sheffield, and and, and what happens. It, it's it's terrifying. So yeah. as a kid, I could yeah I was traumatized as a kid. <laughs> yeah, well I'm not surprised. I mean, with the Ripper, with AIDS. Um, yes. And that's why, and that's why they think. That's why we, you know, they think the music scene at the time emerged in this quite dark, shadowy sort of place, which created these um, 
you know, gothic images, gothic sounds. Yeah. And, well, of course, yeah. punk rock as well was uh, Leeds was quite strong with that as well, wasn't it? It was, it was, but punk rock has, uh, punk rock didn't really last very long. And so what happened, you know, punk happened, it, punk was like the big scream. Um, and then punk sort of um, dissipated into what we now know as post-punk. I think actually kind of what happened certainly, you know, in Leeds is um, punk attracted um, a, a lot of the National Front. And people uh, okay. who were supportive of, of punk distanced themselves from that. And that's what became, you know, more of a kind of a post-punk subculture, which then grew into other forms of style and music. Mm. Yeah, so punk, punk didn't really last that long. It was just more of a, a really a big shout, a big, big energy, and yeah. then it kind of became something else. Yeah. Well, Robert, we're completely out of time, but, but how interesting, you know, the, those little niche areas, because they were only a small island. It seems like our our cities and towns are they're like microcosms of their own little universe. Yeah, and I think you're bang on. You know, I mean, I think you know what's just kind of you know happened. You know, been going on in Manchester over the past you know what five ten years. Mm. You know, with um, clubs like Chacha Boudoir. You know, and again, I think we're living in a political climate where people are staying much more in their local environments and um, you know, just creating really interesting scenes. Yeah. Because I think, yeah. you know, social mobility has slowed down again because people, you know, just haven't got, you know, the money in their pockets to be able to kind of go and do the things they used to do. Yeah. Well, you've just told us how stressful your life has been. There's been one stressful piece piece after another now we're in covid <laughs> now we're in covid you know it's interesting yeah but 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 but, but you know i kind of came out you know i i ended up you know graduating in leeds in fa in fashion and then i went on to have a very successful career but i had to go to london to have that you yeah, know i worked in yeah. theater i worked in television i worked in film worked and i worked in music pop music videos and stuff so mm. you know it it, it it was, I think, when I'm talking about the stress and the anxiety, it was just the climate we were living in. Yeah. Everyone was actually under that, under that stress and anxiety back in, back in the yeah. day. Well, we're lucky that the Russians didn't nuke anybody. Yes. And um, <laughs> we didn't put the, the, to the test, climbing under a table or desk would save our lives. Uh, Robert Kyle, thank you so much. Thanks. Lovely. <laughs> Shout out LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Well, that's how you uh, tie in last week's show to this week's show to the feature we've just done in one very succinct track. Uh, I say hats off to you there, Steph, because uh, that's obviously we played um, Dario G last week, which is sampled from that, um, and that's called Life in a Northern Town by the Dream Academy, and you just interviewed someone uh, about being up north. I think that's Indeed. probably the tightest fit we've ever had. I think that's brilliant. Oh, that's another group, of course, tight fit. That is another group, yes. Anyway, different we, genre, we, we, we yes. don't have time to stop. We're carrying straight on. So uh, let's find out the final bit of Analista. me again your lgbtqia plus quiz three podcaster 
Today is the day where I shall conclude the story of Miss Anne Lister, and it's been quite the journey, which is apt because I shall now continue sharing about Anne's marriage to Miss Walker, as well as her incredible desire to travel. is mind-blowing that a woman saw so much of the world all the way back in the 1840s, but even more phenomenal that she took her wife with her so that they could share in these wonderful experiences. So let's rewind a little bit to explore just how the two Anne's became wed. After spending more and more time with Miss Walker, Anne wrote, she little dreams of what's in my mind. She has money and this might make up for rank. We get on very well so far and incurred across thinking of Miss W for the first time and confided in her journal recording the first of many orgasms her new acquaintance would induce. Within a few weeks, Miss Walker shared Anne's romantic feelings and they began a sexual relationship and Anne noted that she finally felt she had found her one true love that she would love more than any of her past lovers. After just two months, she made her intentions clear. She wanted them to live together at Shibden like a married couple and share their wealth and property. The love was genuine, but Miss Lister was very aware that the financial union would be a massive benefit to her continuing living in a way that allowed her to travel. And Miss Lister very much wanted for Miss Walker to join her on these expeditions, for them to see the world together and to fall even deeply, more deeply in love. However, Anne Walker was fraught with anxiety and mental health difficulties, which often showed as delusions and severe night tremors. Terrors. <laughs> the anxiety would heighten whenever Anne Lister wished for people to know about their love, because at this time, although there was no word for lesbian relationships, people often did not accept that two women could be together in a romantic way and would very much try to make women settle for a man, even if they did not take even the slightest romantic interest in them. Anne Walker's family were no different and attempted to pressure her into finding a man to settle down with and for them to have a family. Societal and family pressures, Miss Walker would try to shut Anne off, irrespective of her love for her. She would ban her from her home and go into a frenzy, shouting that they must end their love affair once and for all. But Anne Lister talked her round time and time again, for it was their love that she felt could overcome everything else. Anne Walker even turned down the marriage of a man, which did prove once and for all that their love was real true and something they now both believed would last forever. Anne noted in her diaries that I believe I shall succeed with her, and if I do, I will try to make her very happy. ...about her many lesbian love affairs with her aunt, uncle and sister, none of whom were shocked and all of whom accepted Anne for who she was and welcomed Miss Walker into their home and into their lives. Again, this was both wonderful and extraordinary. Anne's family were very aware of Anne's sexuality. She spent many a night drinking and talking with her uncle. His gentle and loving manner allowed Anne to feel accepted and she noted that her aunt and uncle felt more like parents to her. Her aunt and uncle admired Anne greatly, not only for her financial astuteness, but for her ability to be completely herself. It was clear they loved Anne for who she was, not for who she loved. And so, eventually, Anne and Anne married. Anne Lister's wedding to Anne Walker took place at Holy Trinity Church in York on Easter Sunday, 1834. But of course, due to the time, the event was purely symbolic. Attending church with another woman and taking communion was ceremony enough for the two Annes. She took the values of a traditional union very seriously, and so her promiscuous days were well and truly over. 
and now they embarked on a wonderful honeymoon, three months of travel through France and Switzerland. On their return, Anne installed her new wife in Shipden. Carts laden with furniture rumbled up the track between their homes. The scandal was soon the talk of Yorkshire. Anne Lister, who had been mocked for looking like a man for so many years, was now, in most of society's eyes, very much acting like one. The marriage had many ups and downs, for the two Annes were very different personalities, but they worked at their marriage and in 1838 Anne Lister couldn't wait any longer and wished to go abroad again. So Anne and Anne were now heading to France via Brussels, but Anne was not the ambitious travelling companion Anne Lister had hoped for. She made frequent complaints of illness that Anne Lister suspected were concocted. Next, they ventured to Russia and explored St. Petersburg, and then headed to Moscow, described by Anne as the most picturesquely beautiful town I have ever seen. It was noted that it was bitterly and worryingly cold, and Miss Walker continued to plead to return to Halifax. But Anne convinced her to stay. She bought them a new carriage, had two pairs of men's knee-length leather boots made, and fur coats, and on they travelled. Destination, the Caucasus, a hot and humid mountainous region between the Black and Caspian Seas. In the summer of 1840, they reached the city of Kutasi. I apologise for any incorrect pronunciations. In the remote village of Jagali, Anne described the views in her journal, high hills north and within ridges of wooded hills, rising every now and then into little wooded conical summits. They had tea at 8.25pm and lay down at 9.30, she noted. However, these simple observations would sadly be the last thing Anne Lister would ever write. It was the 11th of August, 1840. Six weeks later, Anne, aged 49, died. It is thought an insect bite led to the fever that killed Anne, and sadly Anne Walker was stranded 4,500 miles from home. It took her eight long, unbearable months to bring Anne's body back to Halifax, travelling through northern Europe with her coffin beside her. It is said that this took a huge toll on Miss Walker's mental health, and that upon her return she was not the same person who had left for Europe. As decreed in her partner's will, Anne inherited the Shibden estate. She continued living at the hall, which now boasted the improvements Anne had ordered but never got to see, and her ownership did not last long. Miss Lister's relatives became concerned with her mental health problems, arranged for a doctor, lawyer and policeman to break into the home. Anne was found cowering behind a locked door, surrounded by papers and a brace of loaded pistols. So she was taken off to the same York asylum that still housed Eliza Rain, Anne Lister's first ever lover. It's important to note that the survival of Anne Lister's diaries is partly down to Anne Walker, who ensured the final volumes made it back safely but it would be almost 150 years before their contents would be revealed. They have just been painstakingly restored by a team of experts at the West Yorkshire Archive Service, and a rainbow plaque erected in her memory is at Holy Trinity Church, York, with a scene of her marriage to Anne Walker, which now describes Anne as the first modern lesbian. While this def definition is debated, Anne's importance to lesbian history is not in dispute. Her diaries stand alone. Similar records of female homosexuality are thought to have been destroyed by Shamefield families, just as Arthur Burrell suggested. That John Lister chose to preserve Anne Lister's diaries is therefore remarkable. It's not known whether he did so out of love of history or whether, as has been suggested, he was also secretly homosexual. Overawed by Anne's phenomenal intelligence and fascinating, conflicted personality, very down-to-earth but mercurial, Sally Wainwright first pitched an idea for an Anne Lister drama in 2003, but was knocked back. 
She believes changing attitudes to sexuality are enabling Anne's story to be told now. She's been hidden away. People didn't want to show off about her, she says. Gentleman Jack tells Anne's story from 1832 when she started transforming Shibden and her relationship with Anne Walker began to flourish. It's transmission in the culmination of a 20-year dream of television, writer Sally Wainwright, who grew up just a few miles from Shibden Hall, brings to us a delightful, mesmerising, intellectual, witty and brilliant drama. And here it is where I bring the story of Anne Lister to a close. I hope that this has been as fascinating for you as it has been for me. But for now, I shall keep my next subject matter a secret. If you have any feedback about this pod or have anyone you'd like to see covered, please tweet at shoutout underscore radio. You can listen to these pods again via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as our website www.shoutoutradio.lgbt. information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT Radio for you. The Shoutout Podcast. Oh, we should sing along with I remember S Club 7 um, performing at Pride years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a few years ago, isn't yeah. it? Um, if, you, if you are that young, you don't know that one. That's Rich for the Stars by S Club 7. Feel very jealous that I missed a performance of S Club Seven. I was obviously away that year. Um, it was the year it was um, proud something or other. Um, it wasn't called Bristol Pride. It was when Darren first properly took over on his own, and it was on College Green. Um, and mm. there was the main stage at one end, and then. Um, one of the nightclubs put a stage the other end and they had S Club 7 on it and it was so loud you couldn't hear the main <laughs> stage. Uh, people Amazing. running around going, we can't do the stages! Uh, but, it, but it was it was good. I mean, Pride's always good regardless, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, was yeah, interesting. So, I, think that was, oh. I think that was 2012. Mm, I think yeah. That, uh, Pride 2012. Well, well, we no are proud. Could... That was what it was called. Yeah. We are proud. That was, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember, I remember the, the uh, seeing some of the adverts, but you, there's no way you get it on College Green now because it's just grown so much. Oh God, no, yeah. no, yeah. it's huge. Makes it makes a change to to, yep. fill, to fill such a big space in such a short time. Well, I remember, Indeed. I remember when we spoke to Darren after he kind of formally stepped down and hasn't actually quite stepped down now, but I think some of that's to do with COVID. Um, but do you remember the last one we were able to broadcast? And I remember him saying it was my lifelong ambition to put this on um, the downs, and we've finally done it. And I'm like, yeah, good on you, mm. man. Yeah. So, uh, and it works really well on the downs, I think. Yeah. Price seems to be all over the place at the moment. Some are doing it, some are not. I, I yeah. guess everyone's just wait, a lot of people are waiting to see what's going to happen next. Really, mm. yeah, and see how it's a couple of the biggest are going: uh, Manchester, Brighton, yep. Birmingham. They're all going. 
Uh, it's not just the Prides either. There's several sort of arts festivals and things. I think September and October is going to be rammed yes. full of date clashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's it. It's going to be fun it's be for me. Likes <laughs> <laughs> you, me, Rose. Give me yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I, I've you know, I mean, August is is. Uh, I've had work offers in August. I, I don't know. It's difficult to know because the furlough's been extended to September. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 Budget that's was a, out. That's a worry. Budget was out yesterday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know, no, I, I, I just, I, it's for, for, for the likes of me and Matthew who are in the entertainment and live events, it, it's just so unknown because you think it's all happening and then you're not quite sure and, you know, it's all kind of a bit up in the air, as it uh, were. You must so. be blowing things up by now, Matthew. Well, I, no, I have been, but they've been on screen, you see, or oh, in, right. in a closed studio. So does that, um, does so that, that mean there's like scorch marks on your ceilings and the like in the house? Oh, not my house. <laughs> Don't be daft. Not my house. Hey, Matthew, have you been um, have you been swinging on ropes lately? Have you been doing your campanology? No, none of that because it's group activity, isn't it? So mm, bell ringing yeah. um, has not been taking place. So even the LGBTQ bell ringers group met last week. They did a Zoom meeting. So. It's all it's all very difficult for those sort of uh, community activities. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it, it's coming. Right old ding dong. It's <laughs> nice one. <laughs> anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, a reminder: we are looking for people to get involved with the show. Um, if you or someone you know uh, is interested, please do get in touch. It's not just about being on air. If that's not your thing, there's plenty of help needed uh, off air too. Just get in touch by emailing studio at showtyperadio.lgbt. Uh, I can't wait for the explanation behind this one. But next week, we're finding out what, what it's like with life as a gay bat. Um, but for me <laughs> and the rest of the team, say bye bye, everyone. Bye. Shout out. LGBT radio for you.